You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. Good morning, Citizens Church. I'm Kevin Evans. I'm one of the elders here, and thank you for coming to church on a holiday weekend. You must be fine Christians. We're going to be talking about the mission of God. That term mission has become popularized, so it essentially means it's the core purpose of an organization. So if you work for a company, chances are high that your company has a mission statement, which you've probably forgotten about, right? Let me just see your familiarity with some organizations that you may be familiar with. See if you can trace the mission statement to the company, okay? Here we go. The first one to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Google. Google. Great. Number two, to provide America's taxpayers top quality service. There's a hint. To provide America's taxpayers top quality service by helping them understand and meet their tax responsibilities and enforce the law with integrity and fairness to all. Your friends at the IRS. Correct. Number three, to be the premier sports and entertainment entity in the world, driven by the intense commitment to win on and off the field. The Dallas Cowboys, right? Can't you just hear Jerry Jones's voice saying that statement? I can't either. And then finally, you hear it, to avoid, I'm, I'm sorry, to model, to model age-appropriate social emotional strategies and practical life skills for young children. That's Daniel the Tiger, you guys. You don't know who Daniel the Tiger is? You should look him up. I think that probably came out of him after the recording. He's sitting back in his office, you know, with a cup of coffee, just reflecting. But that's the mission statements that fill up our world. What would you say about your life? What is your mission statement? To make money? To be famous? To have many loving relationships? to be healthy, to be liked, to be in control. You know, you were created for something far better than anything on that list. You were created to be part of the mission of God. The mission of God. And we're going to use a simple definition for that today. There's many great definitions out there, but we'll let Jesus give that simplified version from Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the mission of God. That's why he came. And that's what we see throughout his earthly ministry is Jesus seeking, Jesus saving the lost. And now as we come to Luke chapter 24, it's all culminating in his resurrection from the dead. And Luke presents Three successive stories, people's encounter with this resurrected Christ that just highlights the the magnitude that this mission of God is now incarnating in Jesus. It's unfolding. It progressively reveals what is the mission of God. In that first encounter, you have the women at the tomb early Easter morning, that first Easter day, early at the tomb, encountering the angels, hearing he's not here, he is risen And they're overjoyed and run to tell. The second encounter, 
You have the two men walking, or two people walking on the road to Emmaus, unsure of why Jesus was crucified, uh, bewildered, saddened until Jesus appears, explains to them from the scripture, it's about me. This was supposed to happen. And he opens their, eye, eye, opens their eyes and reveals himself, and they're overjoyed, and they stop and return to Jerusalem to tell others that they've seen the risen Christ. And now here in our situation, our immediate context, the third scenario, also on that first Easter day, it's nighttime, and the disciples are huddled, hiding behind locked doors, wondering what is to be made of all these reports that Jesus is alive, and Jesus appears to them. And he says in verse uh, 38 and 39, peace to you, peace to you. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And it says, they, verse 41, they still disbelieved for joy. I mean, those disciples, this was too good to be true. I mean, what do you do now that you've risen from the dead? What will Jesus want to talk about with his disciples on this first Easter night? He wants to tell them about his mission, the mission of God and how they're invited into that mission of God. And so as they were invited in, guess what? So are we. This is God's plan for us all to enter into the mission of God. So this morning, what we're going to see is that the mission of God is, first of all, rooted in God's promises. Secondly, it requires our proclamation. And third, it rests in his power. It took me hours to form those double alliterations, so I would appreciate a little credit. Thanks a lot. You're going to forget it as soon as you leave, I know it. So let's get started. Mission of God, it's rooted in his promise. Verses 44 to 46, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. The mission of God is not new. It didn't begin with a great commission. It's been part of the ancient writings, centuries past. This has always been the heart of God, is the mission of God. And Jesus says, Everything that's been written, it's about me. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's a way of, of dividing the Hebrew Bible into the three parts. It's another way to say there's no part of Scripture that does not bear witness about me. All of it points to Jesus. I mean, so often I pick up my Bible to read in the morning, and I'm actually looking for some you know, inspirational quote, a little spiritual caffeine hit to get me through the day. Do you ever do that? Come on, do you ever do that? I know you do. And if I read the Bible that way, I'm reading it wrongly. It's not intended to be a reference book for personal encouragement and comfort and guidance. It's a story not primarily about me. It's a story about God. Maybe you've heard of the book Unbroken. It's a biography on Louis Zamperini, who was a prisoner of war, World War II. Literature buffs consider this one of the finest, most compelling biographies ever written. Well, let's say I pick up that book and I'm going to read it, but I think the story is not about Zamperini. 
I think the story's about me. I mean, how ridiculous that would be, right? Reading someone else's biography, but thinking I'm looking for insights for me. That's how many people read the Bible. But we miss the point if we recognize it's, a, if we don't recognize it's about Jesus. So what is this the scripture that Jesus begins to unfold for them. It's stories that the disciples have heard all their lives. It's historical accounts, it's, it's prose, it's poetry, it's everything they've heard about God, but somehow never connected the dots, never recognized it all was about Jesus until that night. And in that moment, it says, Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. They needed their minds opened and we need our minds open too, right? We need the insight that only God's Spirit can give us in order to correctly understand what the point of the Bible is. And the point of the Bible is Jesus from beginning to end. So we need the Spirit of God to help us. And let's just buckle up our seatbelts now and take a brief journey. Can you handle this? A brief journey through the Old Testament to see where is Jesus? What, what might he have told those disciples in that upper room that night? Well, he would begin with the law of Moses. And he would have said, Genesis 3, he would have said, I am the offspring of the woman who's risen up to crush the head of the serpent. That's me. Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, I am the son of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Exodus 12, he would have said, I am the Passover lamb whose blood satisfies the wrath of God. Exodus 25, I am the tabernacle where God has come now to live among men. Leviticus 7, I am that true high priest who offered the final sacrifice once for all to atone for sin. Leviticus 16, I am the scapegoat who both was your substitute in death and carried away the guilt of your sin. He would have moved into the prophets. He would have said, undoubtedly, he, he mentioned that night, Isaiah 53, I was pierced for your transgressions. I was crushed for your iniquities. I was the lamb led to slaughter. I poured out my soul to death. I was numbered among the transgressors. I bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That was me. Isaiah 49, 6, he would have said, I am the light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's me. I'm that light. He would have said in Daniel 7, I'm the son of man who comes on the clouds of heaven. 2 Samuel 7, I'm the descendant of David whose kingdom will continue forever. That's about me. It all pointed to me. I'm fulfilling it now. And he could not have mistaken, could not have missed bringing up to them Psalm 22, which described in graphic detail the crucifixion, which had not even been invented yet when it was written. He said, I was poured out like water. My hands and feet were pierced. My clothes were divided by casting lots. And Psalm 16, I am the one whom God did not abandon to the grave. I am the one whom he showed the path to life. It's all about me. Do we see that? He was saying it was necessary. I had to. It was a must, a divine must for me to fulfill all of that. That's why we don't have to be bewildered, sad, and confused. Why did Jesus have to die? He just rolled it out for them. 
And I'm just thinking, can you imagine the impact on those disciples that night as the Spirit opened their minds to see like they'd never seen before, that all these familiar stories and vivid images from their Bible, they're now seeing each one as a beautiful aspect of the grace of God expressed through Jesus for them. They finally got it. It was my sin that put him on the cross. And his grace caused him to endure it and then rise from the dead. I mean, they would have been crushed and broken when they saw the cost of their sin. Can you imagine the weeping that was taking place in that upper room as Jesus, the Word of God, the Son of God, by the Spirit of God, helps them get it. And then this grace that renewed them, built them back up, filled their hearts with joy. God loves me that much. Have you had those kinds of experiences when you read the Bible? Because this is what God wants for us. He wants us to be broken over our sin. He wants us to be deeply moved by what he did to save us. And he wants our hearts to be flooded with joy when we receive the grace that's expressed through his workforce as well. This is the incarnated mission of God. So now what? He's revealed what this is, so what do we do? Well, Jesus continues, the mission of God requires our proclamation. Verses 47, 48, he says, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What exactly is the essential mission of God? What is the message we have to share? That when a person turns to Christ, they can be forgiven of all their sin. That's the heart of it. It's forgiveness, and that's what Jesus highlights there. That's what makes the message of Jesus unique in our world, in this world filled with religious and philosophical options on how to live a life. For example, how do religions address human need for deliverance from suffering and evil? Each religion has a, a set of principles that they, they put forth that people must do in order to make sense of life. Hinduism says to escape the cycle of reincarnation, one must behave rightly, gain knowledge, and be devoted to a god. Islam says you must submit to Allah by practicing the five pillars. Buddhism says to overcome desire, you follow the eightfold path to enlightenment. Jordan Peterson He says, take personal responsibility. That's how your life makes sense. To which Taylor Swift would respond, don't blame me, right? There are endless options for advice and principles by which to live. But the gospel message is not advice on what a person must do. It is an announcement of what has been done, done for you by someone else, the Lord Jesus. That's the gigantic difference. Do we see that? The Christian life is not a set of rules. It's not a set of principles that we must do to make ourselves acceptable to God. It is an announcement that someone else has done something for you, you desperately needed but could not do for yourself, has been accomplished for you. And by trusting what he did for you, you receive the benefit. That's the gospel. Our status with God has changed. Not because we did anything, but someone else did something for us. 
And so now God the Father looks at you with love and acceptance and joy. Your relationship with God has changed. And that happened outside of you. It didn't start with your changed life. That would still make it about you. But it began with God doing something for you through Jesus that now brings the transformation. And so this is amazing, this result, this gift. It's made available for those who believe in Jesus. Forgiveness. And we live in such a guilty world. Chances are high you brought a package of guilt with you to church today. We just are always battling that sense of, of, of not measuring up. We, we don't feel like we've done all that God expects. We don't feel like we've done all that our employer expects. We haven't done everything our family expects. We don't even live up to our own expectations. We can't even fulfill our own to-do list day by day. We just drag around this burden of guilt. And so when the world hears that there's someone who's taken away your guilt, who's removed your shame, it's good news. This is what we proclaim, that the judge, the righteous judge of all the earth who knows everything about me, all my dark secrets, all my selfishness, all my arrogance, all my lack of love, all of my addictions, all of my defiance of heart, he sees it all down to the depths. And yet because of what Jesus has done as my substitute, he can declare me not guilty. That's fabulous news. That's the love of God. And along with that gift of forgiveness, there's also the gift of righteousness. It's not only canceling the negative, it's adding the positive. We get credit for the righteous life Jesus lived. So now God the Father looks at me just as righteous as his own son Jesus. And there's more. He adopts us into his family as sons and daughters of God. That's good news. J.I. Packer says that the traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. So anyone who turns in repentance to Jesus receives forgiveness, righteousness, adoption, a new life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, something that fabulous cannot be contained. It's the most natural response to want to share with others what brings us the greatest joy. And when we get the gospel, we will not be able to keep it stuffed inside. We will want to share it with other people. And that's why Jesus calls his disciples in verse 48, witnesses. You've experienced something. So go tell them. When you shop online... Do you always read the reviews? I mean, I, I have to confess, I, I do. I read the reviews. Uh, I was shopping for a hat recently. I don't buy many hats, so I didn't want to you know, make a big mistake on a $10 hat, so I probably spent half an hour reading reviews, and I find one that looks good, so I start going through the five-star reviews, and they say this, they say that, and I'm feeling pretty good about my choice, and then they start sounding kind of redundant. I, say, I need to look at some, some bad reviews, one or two-star reviews, look at some of those, and you know, that's, you know, bringing it back into balance. I'm not sure this is the hat for me. What if it fades? What if those dyes run down my face someday when I'm hot and sweaty? This could be awful. So I start tipping away from it. Then I, oh, wait, what if those negative reviews are fake and they're just trying to make the positive reviews seem more legitimate? And I'm playing this mind game with myself going through, can I trust the reviews? 
Finally, I just cancel out and go to the brick and mortar store and try one on. Because I'm an old man and that's how we shop, all right? (laughs) But as witnesses of Jesus, all of our reviews are authentic, right? And yes, we have received benefit. (laughs) But that even adds to the authenticity that Jesus we share has truly benefited our life. We're as witnesses. And so we want to tell of our wonderful Savior. And what is the scope of our mission? He says in verse 47, it's to all nations. No one excluded. Everyone is invited in. It's to bring good news to all people. Remember the theme of Luke's gospel, Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And we see that in the ministry of Jesus. He went after the lost, the outsider, the overlooked, the marginalized, the people everyone else tries to ignore and walk by, Jesus went right up to. And Luke's gospel gives story after story that reinforce this of of God's care and compassion for the outsider, the good Samaritan, the prodigal son, the great feast where outsiders are seated at at the banquet table. It all verifies this good news is for all people. Is that good news? Because that's why we're included. We were the outsider, and Jesus came after us and brought us in. You know, and that begins, as he says there, in Jerusalem. For us, it begins here, where we live, in Plano. You may not be aware, 10 months ago, Citizens Church and the elders commissioned my wife and me to be sent out to plant what became Citizens' first church, first church plant. Good news. I know you haven't heard about it, but it's still good news. And it's been going great. God had, by his grace, given a vision for us to plant a house church here, just like we got to do for years in China. And so this first 10 months has been marvelous. I'm just so thankful for your prayer, blessing, support, encouragement. And what God has formed is beyond my expectation We've welcomed neighbors and the nations to encounter, believe, and experience Jesus Christ as their greatest joy. And he's brought together Mission House Church, a beautiful mix of Chinese and Anglo and Indians and Koreans and occasionally Afghans. And we're striving together to center our lives on Jesus because of who he is and what he has done. And our vision is to see this one house church grow stronger and stronger and then multiply into two and then into four, and we hope to fill North Texas with neighborhood house churches and beyond to the nations as well. We want to make Jesus' good news available to every neighborhood. So now a shameless plug, if you're interested in hearing more about Mission House Church, please send me a message. You can go to the Citizens Church website, staff page, look me up, send a message, and while you're there, please write a five-star review on this sermon. I'll appreciate that. But I pray that the Lord will call some of you to the nations far away. But for most of us, God's calling, your mission of God entry field is right outside your front door. It's your neighborhood. It's your office. It's your school. It's the parks where your kids practice their sports, it's right here where the people are. So why not make some progress this summer into the mission of God? Let me just throw out a challenge. 
How about you go and meet some neighbors you haven't met before? Introduce yourself, say, I just wanted to get to know our neighbors better, and invite a few of them over for desserts and just let them share about their lives. Just say, tell me about your background. What's, what was the, you know, the last 10 years like for you, highs and lows? People love to share when someone's willing to listen. And if you listen lovingly long enough, they'll probably ask you, well, tell me about yourself. And you'll have your opportunity to talk about your background, your highs and lows, and how Jesus has become the most loved person in your heart, what he's done for your life. It doesn't have to be complicated. We just have to take that step. And you think, I, I'm not up to that. Well, good news for you too, because this third idea, the mission of God rests in his power, not ours. Verses, or verse 49 he, Jesus said, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You remember earlier in Luke 24, those encounters people had with the news, Jesus has risen from the dead. First, you have the women at the tomb. They hear this news, and immediately, what do they do? They run to tell others, Jesus is alive. The second scenario, the two people walking on the road to Emmaus, they encounter the living Christ. They immediately return to Jerusalem and tell the brothers, this is true, we've seen the Lord. So this third scenario with the disciples in that room, we fully expect, we're prepared for Jesus to say, now go at them, tiger, let's go get them. Take the message out there. But that's not what he says. Rather than say go, he says stay. I mean, remember the, the great commission from Matthew's gospel, the, the overwhelming command is, go make disciples of the nations. But Luke's version, it's stay, wait. Those disciples, they had to wonder, why? Why wait? I mean, we've just, we've just been in the presence of the resurrected Christ we heard him talking to us. We got to touch him. We saw him. We ate fish together. <laughs> and we have the gospel. We, we've got the message now. We get it from, from Genesis to present. We, we understand the message now. And we know the scope. It's for all nations. We're ready to go. But apparently they lacked something because Jesus said, wait. There was something, more appropriately, someone whom they desperately needed for this mission. And who is that? The Holy Spirit. Luke's gospel has been called the gospel of the Spirit because of his frequent references to the Spirit. And you're familiar with, you're familiar with those if you've read the gospel. It is baptism, right? Jesus is baptized, comes up out of the water, and the Spirit comes upon him in the form of a dove. And then the Spirit leads him, full of the Spirit, leads him into the wilderness to face and overcome temptation. And then after he overcomes, in the power of the Spirit, he goes back and enters his hometown, Nazareth, goes to the synagogue. In his first sermon, he preaches Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. I mean, it's the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to do his earthly ministry, guess what, is now coming upon the disciples. And he wants to come upon you. Same Holy Spirit. And he's called the promise of the Father. 
Again, it's not out of thin air that Jesus says, oh yeah, let me tell you, there's this other third person of the Trinity. I know the Father and I, we get most of the press, but there is, it's not that way. The, the Holy Spirit has been present from the beginning, eternity past. We read about him in Genesis 1 verse 2, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, about to bring order out of chaos. And he, he probably referenced Isaiah 32 where you see this dramatic result that follows the coming of the presence and power of the Spirit. Isaiah 32, verse 15. When the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, what happens? The wilderness becomes a fruitful field. You, you may consider your, your mission field like a wilderness. You may look at your neighborhood and say, these people are not interested in God. You may consider the place where you work and your colleagues, your clients, your, your management, your boss, they're not interested in God. Or even your relatives. You may have a family reunion coming up soon and you're kind of dreading it because they talk about such trivial things, a waste of time, they have no interest in spiritual things. And Your mission field may look like a wilderness, but when the Spirit of God comes, he can transform a wilderness into a fruitful field. God is at work even when we can't see him, and that's why the Spirit comes. Joel 2, which we'll see fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, he says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And what happens? And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, no one brings to God this innate desire to know God. If God doesn't wake us up, we sleep for eternity and death, spiritual death. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he awakens the dead and brings them to life. He causes people to become unsettled with their life. He, he causes that sense of emptiness to become stronger and stronger. He begins to bring conviction of sin and cause people to want to make things right with God and figure out what is the purpose of life. The Holy Spirit is the one who does all that. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is the Spirit at work in our world today among all nations. And God wants us to have this Spirit with us. He's described as being clothed with power. What a beautiful image. To be clothed, to be covered, to be hidden within the Spirit of God. In other writings of Luke, not only as gospel, but also in the book of Acts, you see further imagery about this same reality, to be baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit. Listen, these are not just meaningless images about some you know, unimportant doctrinal perspective. It's not, the Holy Spirit is not some, some point of knowledge we gain and then put back on the shelf. He is the living God. He wants to dwell within you and upon you. He wants to empower you into the mission of God. He's not only for your personal comfort and growth and encouragement. He's primarily for empowerment for your mission. And it's when we're engaged with the Spirit at that level that we actually grow best. So the Holy Spirit comes to make us fruitful witnesses in the mission of God. Now, you may be a little uncomfortable with how this is going because I'm the same way. I feel nervous and uncomfortable when I'm trying to talk with strangers or acquaintances about Jesus. 
It always feels just a little bit awkward. In fact, I heard one teacher say, when you bring up Jesus, it's like you're crossing that line of pain. <laughs> that was an apt description. That's what it feels like sometimes. Years ago, I participated in a church program where we were required to memorize a very lengthy gospel presentation uh, to evangelize others. And after weeks and weeks of practice, they paired us up and we went through a neighborhood door to door, knocking on doors, striking up a conversation to make our lengthy presentation. In other words, we were going door to door to sell Jesus. And I felt so uncomfortable, so awkward. And it was actually in those moments of my, my fear, my hesitation, you know, that really became the occasion of some of my most earnest prayers. Walking up to that door, about to knock on it, oh God, please help me. Please help me. Oh God, please help them not to answer the door while we're here. <laughs> Give us time to get away. And certainly we did have many people turn away. But we also had some whom God had prepared. Their hearts were ready. Their life circumstances aligned with the timing of a knock on a door. And we just never know who's going to open. There was one young, couple, young family. You could just feel the dysfunction in the relationship as they interacted just there at the, at the door. But they invited us in and we shared the gospel. And to my shock, they both received Jesus. And over 20 years later, still fruitful members of our church back where we started. It's just the most amazing thing. It reminded me again and again, the work is the Lord. This business of the mission of God, it's supernatural work. And we have a spirit, the spirit of God, who loves people far more than we're capable of loving. And yet he stirs compassion within us. And as we just take simple steps to share as a witness what we've experienced with Jesus, we'll be amazed at the people whom he's prepared for us to love and the hearts he's prepared to open. Listen, the Spirit of God does not come to make introverts into extroverts. He doesn't come to make you a more charismatic figure on, on the door-to-door -door sales. The mission of God has come simply to empower weak, inadequate, fearful people to participate in the mission of God. That's who he is, and that's what he does. And so those disciples in that upper room, they waited. And from the Passover when Christ was crucified to 50 days later, the Pentecost day arrived. As we read in Acts 2, the Spirit came, came upon those unschooled, ordinary, fearful, selfishly motivated disciples and transformed them into these bold as a lion testifiers, proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus. And they've continued in that past, even on threat of death. How does that happen? Because they were clothed with power from on high. They welcomed the Spirit and said yes to the mission. And those men turned the world upside down. And if they needed the power, how much more do we need the power? And yet the same Spirit that was empowering Jesus' ministry, empowering those first century disciples, has come to empower us as well. So this is good news, that our weakness is not a hindrance to our participation fruitfully in the mission of God. In fact, those who perceive they have strengths to offer God are really at a disadvantage. Because when we rely on our own strength and ability, we mess it up. We make it about us. 
But when we're in our weakness, yielded, surrendered, helpless, Jesus, come. He empowers us. And honestly, he is our only hope. But he is our faithful, dependable hope, is he not? Of course he is. He's our trusted partner in the mission of God. So how do we respond to this passage today? I think we come ready to just wait for a moment. Let's create some space now where we can linger with the Lord and prepare our hearts to receive. Let's just stay in his presence. Let's reflect again on what our sin cost him and yet what he was glad to give for us. Let's reflect again on this empowerment of the Spirit that we need and to enter into the mission of God. So let's just make this a time of, of prayer. You ready? Lord, help me see the depth of my need. Lord, help me see the high cost of my sin. And my brothers and sisters, take this moment now to confess. Confess your sin to him. Just whisper it out, Lord, I confess to you this and that. And perhaps include in your confession the times where you've overlooked or ignored lost people God has brought into your life. A lack of compassion. Being too busy with life that you have no margin left to engage with people who are far from God. Lord, we, we lay it all out. We know you see our brokenness to the depths and it doesn't deter your love one bit. So we receive now a renewal of grace. We want to feel your forgiveness on our conscience that you love us. We're forgiven. We have your approval. Nothing can change that. Brothers and sisters, Look at what Jesus did for you, his death, his resurrection. And he would say to you, hey, it's, it's me. Reach out and touch me. I'm here for you. Fill our hearts, Lord, to overflowing with your love. And now in weakness, ask him again, Lord, clothe me with power. Fill me with your spirit. Cover me with your spirit. Thank you that it's not about self-confidence. It's simply about in weakness trusting your power. And I ask you, Lord, open my eyes to see people all around me in my neighborhood and place of work and where I do life. Open my eyes, Lord, to see them as you see them. 
and go with me, Lord, to just say hello and see where you take it from there. My brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you to, to just press in a bit more and listen for an impression from the Lord about a practical step you could take today into the mission of God. Lord, what would you have me do today to love my neighbor, to seek and save the lost? And as you get some impression from the Lord of, of a step you're willing to take, would you just raise your hand up and down? I'm not looking. No one's looking. It's just a symbol for you to say, yes, Lord, I'm in. I'm hearing you. I want to take that step. Father, we pray by your spirit, because of what Jesus has done, that we will engage with you in this mission of God. And it's only when we align our lives with your mission does our life make sense. Help us to be on mission with you every day, everywhere we go, with the eyes of compassion, a willing heart, filled with your empowering presence to share life with people, to share grace, to share you. For it is in your name we pray. Amen.